Hello and welcome back to another episode of the China Path podcast. This is James Scullin from the Australia China Business Council. On this episode, we look at the Chinese art scene with Brian Wallace of Beijing's Red Gate Gallery, who's had a front row seat to the evolution of Chinese art since the mid 1980s. We discuss the history of the gallery itself, from its birth in a Ming Dynasty guard tower to its current location at the epicenter of Chinese art in Beijing's 798 Art District. We also look at the life of a modern-day Chinese artist, how to avoid censors, and the growing culture of art collection among China's affluent middle class. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here at Redgate Gallery with、uh, the gallery's director Brian Wallace at Seven Nine Eight Art District in Beijing. Brian, thanks a lot for having me at the gallery here today. Pleased to be here with you.、Um, now, Brian, how long have you personally been in Beijing? I've been here for thirty-three years now. Okay. And、uh, but I first came in nineteen eighty-four, backpacking all over the country, and really enjoyed that. Okay. And eighty-five came back and did a five-month language course,、okay. and loved being. You know, full time living on campus, and、uh, so I went back. I had a, a year to figure things out, and、uh, found a scholarship to come back in '86. Okay, have been here since. And and so, what was the first incarnation of, of Redgate Gallery here in Beijing?、Um, well,、uh, during the late '80s, while I was at uni here, my Chinese friends were artists. Okay, so knocking around with them all the time. Um, and in those days, there were no galleries.、Uh, there was the odd exhibition here and there.、Um, but then、uh, we thought, well, why why don't we try and organise more formal exhibitions? So we would uh, uh, look around, and we found places like the Ancient Observatory,、um, which was built in the 1600s or something,、right. on the old city wall. And、uh, remarkably, we were able to rent one of the pavilions in the garden. And so we would fix that up and、um, uh, put the walls in, put the lights in, and organise a vernissage. That was just vacant at the time. Yes. And as a as a foreigner, there was no kickback of you maintaining a gallery at such an ancient site. Well, it wasn't so much a gallery; it was just having an exhibition,、okay. using their exhibition hall, if you like. And、uh, there were a number of other places around the city. Like the Temple of Longevity and the Confucian Testing Center,、uh, which were basically empty, and but were reopening after,、uh, well, some time after the Cultural Revolution.、Mm. So we had all of this space, and by we I mean the different artists around town who were banding together to try and have shows, because these kids at the time were the the first graduates from the say the Central Academy of Fine Arts. So they were keen to do shows, but、uh, didn't have much of an idea about. Going about it. When did the Redgate Gallery begin then? In the summer of '91. Okay. July '91,、um, at the Dongbiamen Watchtower. We had,、uh, we went back to the observatory to see if we could rent on a longer term basis, and、uh, they said no. But what about a Ming Dynasty tower <laughs> down the road? <laughs> and、um, in those days, nobody ever went down there. So the people from the Bureau of Cultural Relics at the observatory walked us down the road and introduced us to their colleagues. At the tower, and they said, "Yes, we're just about to reopen after restoration, the most beautiful restoration." And、um, they said, "Yes, you can have have the top floor." And and they didn't have any other intentions for it, or no, they really didn't know what to do. For them, it was also very new as、yeah. well. 
And uh, so me and, you know, a few of the artists went down and uh, were able to, to get a, a lease. And, and were you able to renovate the site within the tower? Only to put in the panelling for the walls and then tracking for the lighting. Okay. E- everything else was pretty well controlled, um, you know, respecting the structure. So, you know, everything had to meet safety controls and things like that, but it worked. And so Dongbian Men must be one of Beijing's last remaining guard towers. Well, it's the only corner tower left okay. on the southeast corner of the old city wall. Yeah. Um, so uh, the section of the wall there, which they sort of preserved, there was a lot of housing built flush against it in the, the old days, but they got rid of all of that. Okay. And uh, they did restore a, a small section, a few hundred metres, but have left another kilometre and a half in its dilapidated state. And there was a big argument going on about should they restore it completely, that section, or should we just accept that? that is part of our history mm. and that one out. Oh, actually. great. Mm. Okay. How long were you at the uh, Dongbian Men Redgate Gallery for? Uh, technically 27 years. Okay. We did have a stint away, but uh, they, after a few years they invited us back. Okay. And we went back in a flash. Great. Um, and so what made the move to the 798 Art District where we are now? Well, uh, many years ago the Bureau of Cultural Relics gave all the historical sites to the local districts. Um, and they very quickly in those days turned them into real estate and rented out what they could. Okay. And uh, But a few years back, that uh, bureau decided they were taking them all back and bringing them or upgrading the management of them. So any inappropriate use in them, which meant commercial businesses, had to go at the end of their leases. Okay. And that was the end of 17. And I'd known that for a couple of years, so I'd been preparing and then to get to 798, we're actually here. We had a space, a satellite space, 10 years before. And uh, so we knew the area very well and saw how it developed. But when we came back, we realised that it's going to be really expensive. Okay. You know, and thinking it was going to be more expensive than a Ming Dynasty tower. Right. <laughs> and so we looked at other spaces but couldn't find anything okay. suitable or uh, with good traffic or um, stable. Yeah. And um, so then we did come here and the management company, uh, which had tidied things up uh, quite a bit since we were here last, uh, offered us this space. And when we walked in, we just said yes. And we lo- really liked the space, could see how it could work. Um, and apart from the exhibition space, we've got office and storage mm. and other facilities. Okay. So it's worked out really well. And the artists walk in, and even though it's, the footprint is only 100 square metres, it's eight metres high, so it looks quite cavernous and okay. impressive. Now, had you had any experience running an art gallery before you started Redgate here in China? Not running a gallery, just doing those exhibitions okay. at the observatory back in 88 and 89. Okay. So what goes into uh, operating an art gallery here in China? How, how much red tape is involved? Well, actually, there wasn't much red tape. I actually started off on a student visa. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I had a part-time job as well and still going to university doing Chinese language. So, you know, we just went ahead and did it. Over the years, I had to sort of set up a company and in those days there was a lot of rigmarole, uh, but that's all been simplified now. So it's gone right through to moving from what they called a, a rep office foreign representative office, right through to a wholly owned subsidiary. Ah, so you're so, a, so, you, so you're a Wolfie in, yes, in, in Beijing? Yes, in, in okay. Beijing, and we have a Hong Kong company over that. Right, okay. Um, 
so you know all of that's quite straightforward now yeah um and so you know from the bureaucracy um, hasn't been much of an issue and as director of the gallery do you have to self-filter the type of art that's displayed here or how, how much of a role do censors play in exhibiting art here in china um for a long time we've had quite a free run actually and we've had a lot of strong um, um uh, critical art uh coming back into 798 uh the chaoyang district cultural office which mm. has an office in 798 said for every show we have to um, submit a list. Okay. And in the beginning, they came around and were checking that. Um, you know, they're looking for over-the-top stuff. Yeah. But we haven't seen them for a long time. Okay. Um, then, uh, you know, we all know what can go on the walls. Uh, you know, yeah. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the cultural police may have stormed in and, you know, taken things off the walls and away. Yeah. Uh, but over the last few years, they might, they will come in might come in and say please take it down and put it in the back okay yeah and uh, so there's that but uh, you know i know some artist studios here who are really producing tough political work mm. but they can't show it mm. uh, but they're still able to do it okay yeah and and what so what do they do with it it gets exhibited overseas yes okay yeah uh, they just send the d- digital images away right and it's reproduced overseas whether it's a sculpture or a 3d uh, item you know do you think um the authorities would be more stringent on you if if you were a local chinese gallery owner or do you think that that doesn't really have an impact no um just talking with the other gallerists around here it seemed okay Mm. um when uh uh, we did a show coinciding with um australia china uh, diplomatic anniversary 45 years last year. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, we happened to have four Australian artists in residence and uh, so it was tied into the diplomatic, one of the diplomatic events. So we had the open studio, we had a special show downstairs and then a week later the uh, Beijing City Government level Bureau of Culture walked in in full uniform, all the insignias that you could have, and sat us down and made a signed document saying if you want to show foreign artists oh, work here, right. you have to put in an application okay. you know, you know, two months in advance or something, sign here. <laughs> um, so it doesn't really impact us that much yeah. uh, because we don't do that many shows from overseas. Okay. But it did present an issue with all the artists in residence that we had because yeah. we were holding the open studios and uh, I said to the guys look you know they're just arriving they haven't produced the work there's no way we can put an application in two yeah. months in advance what are we going to do and then he said okay um all right it's still foreign art technically you should have it approved but why don't you just make these uh ev- like a one-off evening event it's not a whole exhibition just make it a private event Okay. And uh, we said, yes, of course. Okay. And uh, we packed the house out. Yeah, great. <laughs> so you've been here since the late 80s. And um, as you mentioned, that was the beginning of the Chinese contemporary art movement. How much has contemporary art evolved since your time here? Well, tremendously. Um, the exposure of it uh, at first to the international community here, uh, they were very supportive from the beginning. Mm. Um, then uh, you had... A great exposure overseas, some of the big shows going to Australia back in the early 90s, then around the world as well. 
Um, and then it's come right back to now the development here in China of the big art scene, mm. becoming one of the largest ones okay. in the world. And, um, you know, it's not just Beijing and Shanghai anymore. You've got these second and third tier cities um, promoting uh, investment in creative industries. And that very much includes the contemporary art. So museums and biennales and triennales, etc. Okay. Auctions everywhere uh, and so on. So it's given so many young artists now this exposure and this opportunity to exhibit. And yep. A place like 798 has been a big catalyst for that. And so through all of that, you, you know, you see all, quite, all kinds of art, um, um, styles, movements, lots of different qualities. <laughs> yeah. Um, but over the time, yeah, some really good and strong stuff. And it's fresh. Is it, is it considered a profitable enterprise to become an, an artist here in China? Uh, there were, in the good old days, it was. It was almost like a vocation. Right. You know, parents would direct, were, well, were happy for their kids to want to do art. Yeah. Um, and so, and at that time, some of the main schools had their commercial streams. So people who um, were quite good sort of technically were able to get in and then go through their degree. Yeah. Uh, but when things turned, they were the first ones to go. Okay. So, and same with a lot of galleries at that time. As well, that was two thousand six, seven, and eight. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was good to observe that as a you know a commercial career path. Uh, what what period do you see as as the most lenient, where where artists could really push the limits to their to their full extent? Oh, through the late nineties, okay, early two thousands, it was quite quite free. But it, it's mainly been that they can do what they want. Um, it's only when you get to the exhibition stage that there oh, are okay. limits. Okay, And yeah. that's being pushed all the time. Okay. Um, way back in the 80s, you know, the local police might storm into a studio and, you know, what are you doing? We don't understand it, so right. something's up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and there, you know, occasionally a show would be closed before it actually opened um, for safety reasons. Okay. Fire reasons. But, but all of that... Uh, sort of disappeared, you know, during particularly during the two thousands. Okay. And uh, even now, it's still much freer than it ever was. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. And so, do you think um, does an artist in China just simply know where the line is, or or does it take you know authorities coming to an exhibition to clamp it down to understand well the lines may be moved as to what it was five years ago? Oh, I think the the artists know. Better than anyone, right? You know, because you know, they've grown up in this environment. Anyone in their forties and fifties, for example, have seen everything, and they would have been children of the Cultural Revolution, yeah. you know, and then what their families um, had gone through. Okay, those, you know, so they've seen a lot of stuff. The very young generation, it's just been getting better and better. Okay, um, you know, they don't know about eighty nine. They don't know about Tibet. You know, all of this. Yeah. Uh, and they don't care. Okay. Um, what type of art connoisseur comes to your shows? Is there, is there, is there a willingness to, to buy art at exhibitions in China? Uh, there is, yeah. Um, originally it was just the foreigners. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, after, for example, 798, it really generated interest in the local community. Mm. And, uh, and that was great, you know, f- for the first time... Uh, 
the domestic audience was starting to appreciate the domestic art scene mm. and domestic artists, okay. Chinese artists, yep. not just the foreigners. Um, and so that market has, has been growing. Uh, it's probably levelled off a little bit under the current restrictions, uh, money-wise. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, I've just been to the Hong Kong art fairs and uh, half of the work we sold in uh, the Hong Kong Art Central was sold to mainlanders um, who either brought it back or asked us to bring it back for them. Mm, okay. And they were new customers to us as well. So, um, you know, a place like 798, there's so much sort of passing traffic um, so we've picked up new Chinese customers who'd never been to the the Dongbianmen Tower yeah. before. Didn't you know if they'd been around the scene, they knew about Redgate, but may not have visited. But there are a whole lot of people who um, are new to the scene and probably don't didn't know Redgate Gallery. Oh right, okay. Um, so you know we're seeing so many new faces. Um, and is there a particular Australian connection with the gallery these days still? Um, very much so. Um, it, we've had a, a long-running artist-in-residence program, which initially was very Australian-centric. Okay. A lot of artists have come through. Australian artists have come through the program, mm. uh, but now it, it's a, um, a truly international program where we have people from all over the world, but also from all over China coming in on it as well. Okay. Um, so you know, we've always had this strong connection and like the Australia China Council yep. hosted one of their events here uh, last year for their 40th anniversary mm. and um, that, that was great and we had uh, many of the artists who have been coming to China from Australia but uh, also a number of artists who'd been to Australia Chinese artists who'd been to Australia okay and you know part of that now uh, we we are, have a program now for a couple of years is to take Chinese artists to artist in residence programs overseas okay and two of those are uh, outside of sydney bundanon and big c in the blue mountains mm. and so each year we're exchanging artists so the the program continues both ways and so for, for artists in residency who come here are you looking for some type of chinese connection either with um the the themes of their art or, or, or maybe the origins of the artists themselves? Like, does there need to be a Chinese connection? Uh, no, there doesn't. Okay. And, uh, and you'd have to say that many of the people coming are, you know, they, they know something's going on in China. Um, they, you know, they may not necessarily have been interested in China for a long time, but there's something happening here and they have to come and uh, see it and participate in it and see how that gets absorbed into their practice mm. and uh, it's I'd have to say it's been pretty rewarding for most of them mm. some of it's an it's an instant hit and some of it it just comes through in the years to come right okay uh, a bit of a slow burn yeah yeah and they keep coming back that's the other thing or they come back and set up their own uh, studios here okay uh, which is really great for them because they they're here in this really hot environment uh, where there are dealers, collectors, museums, gallerists, writers, journalists, all passing through Beijing, not necessarily just looking at contemporary Chinese art but are open to what's going on in the scene. Okay. And lo and behold, they find a bunch of Australians here. Right. And they, these people get picked up and offered many opportunities that they um, may not have had if they had stayed home. Okay. I so I see that all the time. 
So, so what's life like for a, a, a Chinese artist, like trying to survive? Are there are there grants they can get from the Chinese government, or is there are there sponsorship opportunities where they can be supported by particular firms? No, and no. Okay, <laughs> no, it's the same everywhere. Uh, it's right. tough. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, there, during those boom years, it was good. You know, previously to that, if they sold a, a picture for you know a couple of hundred dollars, that, that was a lot of money mm. back in the eighties. So. Um, but things have moved on and then there were the boom years and some artists became, you know, financially independent. Um, but under that, you know, there were many other levels. And uh, uh, so when the, uh, the boom burst, mm. uh, so a lot of artists have suffered uh, because the market sort of dropped away. It's okay. not as easy. Yeah. Uh, also in those early days, the cost of living here was very low. So they could find a studio and live in the, the local villages very cheaply. Uh, but Beijing has changed very mm. much and it's become a very expensive city now. Um, but also one of the, the issues has been this um, government clean-up of Beijing, demolishing any buildings that were illegally built. And that was the case for many studios. Um, and uh, as the government's cleared out a lot of the migrant workers to reduce the population in Beijing, yeah. uh, the artists um, haven't been targeted, but they're just caught up in that because they're living in the same area. Okay. So some artists are, you know, they're, uh, have had to very quickly find new studios. Um, come six months later, another search for a studio. Some of them are just house-sitting at the moment mm. uh, because it's very difficult and the prices are going up as well. Okay. So it's a hard, And the market's not there. Yeah. So it is a really hard time for many of them and some of them are actually um, going home uh, or deciding... You know, for example, a couple of well-known artists are going down to um, Guangzhou uh, or Shenzhen where it's still, you know, if you can afford it, they can find what they want and mm. have a bit more stability. I think a lot of the time when we experience Chinese art in Australia, it's often quite traditional. It's 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 maybe you know Qing relics or traditional dance troops. Do you think that there's a, a reluctance for for China or the Chinese government to promote itself through modern art? Uh, the Chinese government it takes a very cautious approach to how they present modern day China. Yeah, and so. Uh, many of the early shows which were quite large and very descriptive of what's going on in the contemporary art scene were sort of done under the radar mm. in the early days. Okay, uh, externally. Externally, yeah. yeah. The work was shipped out and then, then we have a great show. Yeah. Um, then uh, as things matured, I guess, over the years uh, and um, curating in China was taking off, there was a bit of cooperation and, you know, Chinese curators were being involved. But if it was sort of a, an official, you know, almost state-to-state -state show, you know, they were quite conservative yeah. in what they presented. Now I think there's a... With the um, uh, creation of a lot of international museums in China, they are uh, creating a platform, I guess, for exchange in China, yeah. presenting Chinese art in China at a, a high level, but also taking shows overseas. And we, we're seeing all sorts of international artists uh, come into China uh, to do museum shows or get involved in the uh, private gallery scene okay. as well. Yeah, uh, but you think the international scene will, will take place in China rather than China taking its contemporary out well, it's out going, to the world? It's going both ways. Okay. Um, 
what comes in uh, once you get past the customs issues is approval uh, of what you're presenting. So they're looking for really political work um, or work which could be deemed pornographic or, you know, you know really political work. It's really what they're, okay. they're after. Yeah. So there'll be restrictions on that. But, okay. uh, but, you know, apart from that, there's a lot of good shows that come in and uh, have been held here over the last few years. Yeah, so well, what have been some of your most memorable shows over the years? Well, my show, from Redgate's point of view, you know, going back, you know, we had our 10th anniversary, which was, you know, a milestone. We never knew we would get there. Mm. And then we had our 20th, mm. which toured Australia. Um, last year, our 25th was called My Living Room, which was based on uh, my collection of art. And, your, your personal collection? Yeah, okay. and we kept changing it over so it was alive and living in the gallery at the tower. Um and uh, so, you know, that's sort of milestones for a Redgate gallery. Uh, but also for me personally, you know, whenever we show a new artist and it's probably their, their first solo show, um, you know, preparing for that show and getting the artists ready, getting us ready to present them, you know, it's always a real, mm. a real buzz. Great. Yeah. Um, now, for someone who may visit Beijing and, and, and want to learn about the art scene, um, where could you direct them to? Would you, would you say 798 should be your first stop to understand contemporary Chinese art here in Beijing? Well, definitely 798 because it has such a history. It's almost 20 years now since the, the artists discovered these old Bauhaus buildings that were uh, being abandoned by the Ministry of Defence. Yeah. And um, so it's played such a strong role and, as I said earlier, a real catalyst to developing interest in China. Yeah. Um, north of here there's another area called Saochangdi uh, where there's a lot of high-end galleries without the, um, the um, coffee shops and bars and restaurants and other businesses okay so that's fine uh but that takes a bit of navigation um so if you've done seven eight nine eight you could probably manage sao changdi mm. further away there's uh, the 318 uh, area where there's the quite well-known red brick museum okay and uh, a lot of artist studios still still there and if you're more adventurous uh outside of beijing there's what they call the, the village of ten thousand artists and um it's, uh, it used to be rural villages, but uh, a lot of artists moved in 10, 15 years ago and uh, it's still reasonably priced for them to live out there and work in right. large studios. Uh, but it's a good hour from Beijing. Okay. So with our residency program, for example, part of it is we do studio visits and uh, it's um, most likely that it would be at 318 or at... Sungzhuang, uh, where this village is, okay, and uh, we we know many of the artists there because some a good number are working with Redgate or part of the Redgate gang. So um, yeah, it's great hopping from studio to studio out there. Excellent. Okay. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time on the podcast today, Brian, and we look forward to celebrating the thirtieth uh, anniversary of Redgate. Not too far away. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks to Brian for having me at Redgate Gallery and the next time you're in Beijing, I strongly recommend you checking the gallery out at 798. To find out more about the gallery itself, you can find the link to the Redgate website on this episode's show notes at www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts, where you can also find show notes from all our previous episodes. 
If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and help us continue to grow our listenership. Thanks also to the Australia China Council for their support of the podcast. And I should remind you that you can now purchase tickets to the ACBC's calendar event, Canberra Networking Day, taking place at Australia's Parliament House on June 26th. For more information, head to canberranetworkingday.com.au. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, Zai Jian.